Hello everyone, welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. I'm so thrilled to have my friend Jim Mumper on this week's episode. Jim is a guy that he has been around the church world for a long time, uh, but he really embodies just a, a new, fresh way of doing things and experiencing God, and it's just really exciting to see someone Um, shall I say, a little older than me, uh, really embrace just what's happening right now um, in the state of spirituality and church and things of that nature. So I'm really excited to have Jim on. You know, he's done a lot of extensive travel. He's lived 20 years outside of the United States. He's a California native, and he's just really knowledgeable uh, in so many ways, as you will see. And so uh, Jim, he's an author. He wrote a book called Where You Go, I Go. Uh, It's an excellent book available on Amazon. I'm going to include that in the show notes. And as well, him and his wife, Ingmarie, they are starting a school right here in Oceanside, California. Uh, It's the Pacific Leadership Institute. And so they're ramping up to launch that in fall of 2017. And he's just really got a lot of great insight, a lot of great ambition. And I think you're really going to enjoy just the conversation that we have today. Lastly, we would love to have you connect with us on social media, primarily Instagram, Facebook. I'll include those links on the show notes below as well. And then also connect with Pacific Leadership Institute and Jim. Uh, Be sure to check out his book on Amazon. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation and honestly more of a story than anything else, just a lot of Jim's background. So without further ado, here's Jim Mumper. Welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast, Jim. Thanks. So Glad to have you on. So Jim is a friend of mine. We're out here in Vista, California right now in the exquisite office uh, doing some uh, recording after hours here in the insurance office. And uh, Jim, he's, I won't speak for him too much, but he's an all-around great dude and resides here in Oceanside and um, has a long history uh, of church and missions and all sorts of things and author and now a school director and starter so a whole bunch of stuff going on so Jim welcome thank you for being on the show man appreciate it yeah thanks for having me yeah man so I uh obviously we've known each other for not too long but I think long enough to truly get a good grip on um who we are and we're really like-minded in a lot of ways have a lot of the same drive even we were just talking before we started this and you know just feeling like a square in a circle in church arenas sometimes and um you know uh as time has went on and as culture is beginning to shift i think you're you know uh beginning to see some of the writing on the wall for different things missiologically to to change um but at one point in time you were I mean, you're a church planter, you're involved with, with missions and sending, very involved in church. So, I mean, when did that all begin for you, you know, coming into the church scene in the church world? Yeah, well, uh, if you want dates. <laughs> you know, I won't make I, you give yeah, dates. Well, it was a long time ago. Let's just put it that way. Actually, it would have been uh, sometime in 19, uh, very January 1980, really. Um, I wasn't born, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if that makes you yet. feel better. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so it was really around, it was 1980 that I came into the church world, you know, and I, I walked into a Baptist church and uh, um, someone had preached the gospel to me and the gospel was, you're going to hell. <laughs> and uh, and um, about three days later, I found myself in Cheyenne, Wyoming, 
I happened to be driving cross country and um, truck walking. driver, right? I was driving a truck. I was 20, 23 years old at the time. Cool. Walked into a church and uh, and just talked to the pastor. And uh, because I I was just tormented with this idea of going to hell and um, gave my life to the Lord. I haven't been to Cheyenne since then, but uh, yeah, I was at a little Baptist church and. Um, and a lot of things, everything changed for me. Mm-hmm. You know, everything changed for me. And probably significantly, I, I, I think in some ways I actually got my life calling mm. at that point in time. But I didn't really recognize it for about 10 years. Uh, that what that what were the signs of that? Um, well, basically, you know, the pastor was preaching from Ezekiel uh, 22 and verse 29 and 30. And... Uh, and, you know, I, I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't really remember what he said when he, <laughs> was, uh, when he was preaching. But my response was, uh, I really had responded to that. Hmm. And um, I'm going to pull that up here real quick on my, uh, let me just uh, turn the pages on my iPhone. Right, yeah. Real quick. He's lying. He's actually super holy. He has this really big Bible because the bigger yeah. the Bible, the more righteous you are. You That's know, right. So. That's right. The bigger to hit you head, the head with. That's right. <laughs> so um, let me see here. Ezekiel, is that in the Old Testament or New Testament? I can't remember. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Are you serious? Just kidding. <laughs> so, um, so basically, um, you know, he, he, here are the verses. It says um, in verse twenty. Nine, it says, what? i got to take it off the message. Sorry. It's <laughs> not going to work. And now the iPhone wants to update, wants to update the everything. So it says here, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour my wrath on them and consume them in my fiery anger, anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. And usually when, when I don't know what the pastor talked about then, I think that most people when they preach that message, they talk about standing in the gap, and that's prayer, you know, getting into intercessory prayer and praying mm-hmm. for people. But for me... I found that it was really um, more about physically standing in the gap mm. on behalf of people, saying no, no injustice. There's, we've got to stop this injustice. We have to stop the robbery. We have to stand up for the foreigner, stand up for the alien, stand up for the marginalized and, yeah. and uh, people in society or people in this world. And um, it was probably 10 years later that I realized that that is actually what I had been doing over the past 10 years after mm. I gave my life to the Lord. And that was something that God was launching me. I was on my way, uh, and this is maybe jumping ahead of the story, I was on my way to move to the Soviet Union, to Siberia, to start planting churches uh, uh, then. And that was 10, that was, uh, 10 years later. So it's kind of... Uh, yeah. So how do you see, you moved to the Soviet Union to plant churches, and you seem to say that's synonymous with physically standing in the gap for, yeah. you know, social justice. Yeah. How do you pair those two together? Like, 
you know, the well, Union. I think at that, at that point in time, you know, the Soviet Union was, I mean, you have a communist country and they oppress everybody. I mean, they weren't just oppressing the alien, which they were, or the foreigner among them, which they still do in some ways. I mean, it's, there's no Soviet Union now, but those <laughs> countries actually still do very much uh, oppress foreigners and, and, and the disenfranchised, but they were oppress, oppressing all their people, the whole people. And it was just an oppressive um, place. And we were going there to, to bring the gospel, which for us was uh, new life in Christ, bringing them freedom. Yeah, you know, complete real, real freedom. Yeah, uh, not just physical, but also spiritual. So uh, that's how I pair that up. Yeah, but, and so yeah. through that season of time, and I know we did kind of jump ahead a little bit, and that's completely fine. But the gospel that you are talking about here seems to be radically different than the one that you originally heard. So I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm how. <laughs> Where did all of that begin to morph and change? I know that's like a 10-year period of time, but, I mean, the fact is, I mean, I think the the, the classic fire and brimstone, it, it, if you didn't get saved by it, quote, you know, saved by it, it at least got your attention. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether or not, you know, you can speak for yourself on that if that was like your point of salvation, but that, that gospel of freedom and hope um, that is more of a offensive you know, line uh, opposed to like just a, a defense of, oh, I don't want to, you know, go to this, you know, dark place that has flames. Wait a second. How can a dark place have flames? Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's another yeah, podcast. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, how did that shift happen to, for even just the gospel to, to take root in your life and what that really means, you know? Well, it really, it really happened in community. I mean, I would say that that's where the shift happened because, you know, I got, I ended up coming into a church eventually I uh, um, I felt like God led me to leave my job leave leave truck driving because you know I was in a different town every every week so I would I would frequent different churches I would go to different churches but it was but eventually after several months it was the end of the year um, I felt like the Lord was telling me to that he wanted me in a a family in a in, mm. in a in a church home where I can grow in my faith and and really learn learn more of His Word and learn what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And you know, and I ended up in a church uh, a, a church I was mostly frequented. And I got baptized in a you know I, I got saved in a Baptist church, baptized in a four square church actually with. Uh, a pretty well-known radio personality, Rich Bueller, you know, and it was before Rich Bueller was, uh, he, he had his show Talk on the Heart. It was before that. In fact, the day I got baptized, he was announcing his plan to pitch that idea to his hmm. radio station, but then he was just the weather guy at uh, whatever, was it K-Wave or, no, I don't know, K-Bright, K, K K-B-R-T. Hmm. Um, in Southern California, and he was just the weather guy, and he was also a pastor and a a little four-square church. So I got baptized, but then I ended up moving over to, through, with some friends, to Calvary Chapel of Whittier. And it was led by a guy who eventually moved into the vineyard movement. But um, I was at Calvary Chapel Whittier. And I was there for a while. And uh, as I said, you know, I gave up my... That was where I was when I was in town driving a truck. But God said, 
give up that job, get involved in a church. And when I gave up that job, I got hired at a company that moved me out to the desert. Mm-hmm. And fun, funny story with that is that it, I actually, the job was in Mojave, California. Now, when I was a truck driver, I used to pass Mojave twice a week. And the wind was always blowing 80 miles an hour <laughs> while I was putting fuel in the truck. And I would just say, I would never live it here. You yeah. know? And, and next thing you know, I'm living in Mojave. And, um, and John McClure told me to connect with a church there. And it was that, this was at the end of 1980. And, uh, and that church was the, called the Desert Vineyard. It was a vineyard church. Uh, and... Um, Brent Rue was a pastor, and I connected with that church. And, mm-hmm. and connecting in that community changed everything for me. It just really changed my trajectory, or it was a part of that whole yeah trajectory shaking or sh- changing thing that happened. You know? Yeah. And uh, and I connected with a Baptist church in town doing their youth stuff, but on Sundays and midweek, other things I was connecting with. Uh, with the vineyard movement, at the, it wasn't the movement at the time. There were only a couple, handful of vineyard churches, and, yeah. and the movement hadn't actually started yet. So, what were some of the elements that you feel like really were integral in that time? Well, I think for, first of all, it, you know, you had an apostolic leader who had a lot, a lot of vision for bringing people, uh, you know, of expanding the kingdom. In in the churches in Lancaster, California, so expanding the kingdom. And, and you had a real growing church. The church was a couple hundred people at the time, but most of them were singles. Most of them were, you know, young people in my age. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were married couples and they were families and whatnot, but uh, most of the people were singles. And, and just having a group of friends that you grew together with in the faith, and, and you just, you know, a lot of it was we just, you know, as it says in Hebrews to... Uh, encourage one another to love and good works. That's mm-hmm. what we did. We yeah. encouraged one another, spurred one another on, another on to 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 love and good works, and and so we were doing a lot of things together. You know, and might and together, you would have a boldness to do things that you might not have otherwise by on your own. Mm. You know, and and learning and growing and and um, yeah, yeah. And so that led you to getting more involved in some groups as well. I know, I think probably the funniest part and, you know, referencing your book, uh, you know, Where You Go, I Go, you know, I was reading that and, and uh, that's the title, right? I read it like yeah. a year and a half ago. Okay. So I just want to yeah, make yeah. sure I'm referencing, right? So, because yeah, yeah. everybody's going on Amazon right now to buy it. So, yeah, right. they bet, where you the, go, I go. Yeah, where you go, I go. Shameless plug. Yeah, Jim Mumper. <laughs> so, but I think, uh, you know, what's interesting in that book, that I was reading about is it seemed like it, it maybe, and you can bring some more clarity to it, but it seemed like it was kind of hard to infiltrate that leadership culture there. I mean, and I think it's just, to me, it's just very ironic to see the person that you've become over these years. But at the beginning, um, you know, I think sometimes we can maybe discredit people that are maybe eager and hungry. It seems like you were really eager yeah. and you were really hungry to get engaged and involved. Yeah. Uh, but it seemed like it was maybe not as easy of a thing to be empowered into mission as what you maybe have wanted it to be, you know? So I don't know. Is that true or not true? Yeah, it's, yeah, pretty much. I, you know, I think because I was behind the curve on most of the people that I became friends with. So I came to the church and 
immediately, I mean, I started running this, running sound, you know, because I did that before with plays in high school and that kind of thing, you know, and I kind of dabbled a little bit with, with, with running sound and different kind of things. So I got involved with that, and, and the guy that I was doing sound with, he knew everybody, and we ended up, ended up becoming roommates, but he, was, he had been there since the beginning of the church, which was, by the time I came in, the church was a couple years old, and um, uh, and Brent Rue, who was the pastor at the time, he he was the the, the church planter, the one who started the church, and he um, he was doing lots of things. One of the things the church just started to get involved with was mission. So he had just been to um, to Zimbabwe and just got connected. The Lord's you know really uh, moved on his heart that we need to be more involved with missions. Um, the church was was getting involved with China, with with smuggling Bibles into China at the time, and um, uh, there and, and most of my friends they were kind of already advanced along the way mm. of you know coming into leadership stuff. So so I would say probably after I was there, I didn't know Brent very well. I knew Ron Cox, who was a second the assistant pastor, because he was a single guy, and we hung out with we <laughs> would meet every Saturday morning us. You know the CIA Christians and what do we call it? CIA Christians in action or <laughs> celibates in action or something. Like that. <laughs> in action. That's probably it. You know, so um, you're just a bunch of guys that that uh, were Christian look, look, acronyms, look, by look, the way. Oh, yeah, oh, oh my god. god! Especially in the '80s and yeah. '90s. We're <laughs> looking to uncelibate ourselves legally. Yeah, so, but. But we would get together, and Ron had this group, and it was just a vibrant group. I mean, he, you know, we would worship, we would study the Word together, and we would hang out, and we would just spur one another on to love and good works. I mean, um, it was it's just a great environment, you know. But I didn't know Brent very well, and, you know, it, he... Um, so they he started a training and he called it the Jonathan training and 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 it was and it was a real rigorous program where they were going to read a book a week and they were going to meet you know a couple times two or I don't know two three times a week I I you know if you were part of that group I might be misspeaking I don't know if you're listening to this uh uh maybe I'm presenting alternate facts on the Jonathan <laughs> Jonathan training but uh, he had this Jonathan training and I wanted to be a part of it and I asked him if, 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 can I be a part of the Jonathan training after they had started the first week? And he's, he said, uh, no, maybe next time. Because he didn't know who I was, you know, and, and they, they wanted to make sure that, that the people there are people that they felt were, you know, cut out for leadership. And I felt the tug. I mean, I was just, I was just burning yeah. to get him to be involved. So what happened was every week when they would meet, I would, would you know, get together with people that, that had gone to the training. What did you do? What did you What are you reading? And I would go buy the book they were reading, and I would read, and I would just do do this program parallel with what they were doing. But I didn't have the opportunity to have the group talks and discussion that they had that they had. But I got to do it with my own little, you know, different friends. You know, and I just, you know, did that, and that's how I pressed in because I really felt like that wasn't going to keep me from right. growing and learning what these guys are, are learning and eventually you know i um i did um i think i th that that was noticed in some way i don't really know how that all happened but i do know when uh, i do know when it happened that i um 
things started to move and I started to come in more towards that. And part of it was, number one, uh, Ron Cox had, had um, suggested me to, to lead a home group, to start, to start a home group. And parallel with that was that I was invited, Brent had invited me. We were involved very heavily in China. And in China, what we were doing was we were um, uh, smuggling Bibles into China, but we were sending, you know, two to four people from our church a month. Mm. And we were really involved. And I was very involved with that ministry. And I had, I don't know, I'd already also kind of, I mean, gotten involved with other things related to missions and stuff. So Brent had some, he, he, he saw that and... In the end, he was. Uh, we were at a training for a group. The John Wimber's first trip going to South Africa. They were doing training at the Wagner House down in Yorba Linda, which was a Calvary Chapel of Yorba Linda or Vineyard Yorba Linda at the right. time, or An- I don't know when it became Anaheim or whatever. But uh, we were at the Wagner House and we were doing this training for all the whole group that was going to South Africa, and I was a part of that training, but I wasn't going to South Africa. Mm. I just was allowed to come to the training, you know, because I was kind of a part of a lot of those people. And at that time, Brent asked me if I would consider going to China for a, lo- a longer trip for a couple months to do research for Open Doors. And that just opened everything because, you know, and the end of that trip was when really everything changed for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, I had a very, very, very strong encounter with the Lord at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I don't know if that answers the question. You know, not as a question. Yeah, 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 but, for sure. It, yeah. That's, that's what it, basically, it yeah. really in a community of a church that was growing, and the church was just growing like crazy at that time, you know. I mean, it was just, uh, yeah. And so you did some things in China, and then you were wanting to really go to China and do more stuff there, and then, when did the whole um, leadership at the ranch come into play? And maybe, you know, a lot of our listeners may or may not be familiar with what the vineyard is, uh, you know, but do more research on that. There's Google for you there. But, uh, you know, you were really integral in the ranch, which I think is a staple in vineyard history, you know, as far as really shaping what it means to be equipping and training and sending. And that's yeah. still your heart today, you know, and yeah. I can't wait to get to that some of that stuff as well. But when did that become part of the the story for you to lead that and then from there then go um, to some other places like, you know, Siberia and, yeah. and, you know, tell us some about that and, and really some of the heart that you had behind that. You know, whenever you went to the ranch, did you have any um, desire to launch out and plant the church? Did you know that was temporary or what's the timeline on some of that, you know? Yeah. So, um, so when in 82, when I went to China the first time, um, I went with another guy from my church and, and, um, we were tasked with, by open doors to see, to, they got us visas that you couldn't get. I mean, it were individual visas. They weren't open for non-Chinese people. So we got Chinese <laughs> Chinese visas. You look super I'm, because Chinese, Because I look really Chinese, it really worked very good. 6'2", blonde hair. Uh, at that time, it was kind of long hair and uh, blue eyes. And um, so, you know, we blended right in with all the Chinese. But we ended up with getting a, a visa that, that allowed us to 
travel China on her own. And no one was doing that. You couldn't do that at all, you know. And it turned out if I should have written a book because I would have been a millionaire or whatever about <laughs> traveling China. And um, But we traveled all over the country. And the idea was see how far you can get, how much kind of contact you can have with Chinese people, et cetera. And it was a, it was a difficult trip. It was six weeks long. Um, but coming out of that trip, I had a, an encounter, a, a very strong encounter with the Lord that absolutely changed my life. And I'm not going to get into it here. Where You Go, I Go. It's a great book. Yes, yes. People tell me. <laughs> it is. I, 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 can, I need to write you an Amazon review, by yeah. the way. I really do. Thank you. That would be great. It's but, great. So, but, you know, you can read that story because it, 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 it is a profound story, a profound encounter with the Lord. But um, I just was, uh, I mean, God's, my, my heart was for China. I mean, I had a really strong heart for, the, for, for China. And I came home, um, and I was working at, uh, uh, I, I started a new, new job because I, I had been laid off, which is why it was easy for me to go. And I started working for uh, the government at Edwards Air Force Base, civil service. And um, it was a dream job, you know, but... Um, I my heart was about China, so I lasted in that job for about a year and a half. And all I wanted to do was go to China. And I would go to China, take vacation, go to China, and I would do stuff together with with. I would shat, you know shattered a Chinese uh, guy who was doing. We were doing some setting up drops and stuff like that for for people who were going to come and smuggle Bibles into China, and and um, and then on one one of the trips I was leading a group from from my church and from really all over the U.S. And we were about, uh, the group I was leading was about 40 people. We were a part of a bigger thing of several hundred different churches doing a big project. We were taking lots of Bibles all at one time. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, I just really felt like the Lord was saying, I need to do this more full time. And Brent was on the trip at the time. And, uh, and, and we got to know each other a lot better that, you know, during the time. And I was leading the group, even though he was on the trip. And he saw how I was leading and all that. And he felt like, yeah, this was something I needed to do more full time. So I, I quit my job, went to work at the church. And within, you know, five months, I was living in Hong Kong. And mm. a couple, and a, and a year later, I was living in China. And I was learning the language, going to the university there, doing evangelism there. And eventually... Um, God brought me back to America, and I, I was so I was living I was living overseas from eighty four to eighty seven. Nineteen eighty seven, I found myself back in California, trying to figure out how I'm going to get back to China, and the doors closing every at, er, all, everywhere, and we couldn't help but see that it was the Lord. But prior to moving to China, the vineyard got the ranch. The vineyard in Lancaster got this place, the five hundred acre ranch. Um, north of Los Angeles, part, uh, looking straight across the valley at Tehachapi, and beautiful place, 4,000 feet. And we used to use that place to train all of our teams, mm -hmm. and they were going to China. And we would, and, and it was, it was, um, we ended up becoming the sending base for open doors. Everyone who was going to go to China in the in the mid 80s or early mid 80s, uh, they had to come to to the ranch first and get trained for. Uh, their trip and doing their Bible drops and stuff. So we'd use that at that time. And around the time I moved to uh, to Hong Kong, 
uh, a guy named Paul Filler, who was um, had been a YWAM leader, he came and he, he was part of our pastoral staff. Another one of those guys that was very influential for me regarding missions. And uh, he started a school, and he called the school, Vineyard School of Ministry. And he got people from the desert vineyard to go to the school. And they came and outreached, and they went and outreached in, in, in the Philippines and in Hong Kong. And they came and visited me at the time. And so I had, uh, using the ranch and being a part of the history of the ranch in the early, early stage gave me a connection. When I came back from China in 1987, Tri Robinson, who was the associate, uh, associate pastor, at the Desert Vineyard, he was running the school, yeah. and uh, Paul Filler, I think, had run two schools, and then Tri took it over, and and um, and I came in and assisted Tri a lot, and I would run all their outreaches. So I took their school through um, a rigorous program. I won't talk about that here, but a very rigorous <laughs> program for a week to prepare them for an outreach in Mexico. They were going to go down there for several for a few weeks. I think it was a four-week outreach in, in uh, Los Mochis, Mexico. And um, so I was going to lead that group, and we went down there. And at the end of that school, I took them to on an outreach to Hong Kong and China. Hong Kong, China, and uh, some of us even went on to, to Taiwan later. And... Um, all in all, it was about an eight-week outreach uh, in total for me, and came back and um, was asked to mo really move to the ranch and be a part of the next school and uh, running that be part of running that next school, and I did that and eventually just um, after that school was over, I took over the whole the whole ministry at the ranch. Uh, running the schools and just the whole facility and as a director there and at that point in time when I uh, we started getting uh, when I moved to the ranch we started getting uh, a number of foreigners coming to the school this the the one school that uh, I assisted try with they had their first foreigners being a part of the school and um, and then it's we started to get more and more students uh, coming from international. We ended up have, having largely international student body at the mm -hmm. ranch. And um, so th I moved there in, I, I started working there in 87 and I was um, back on staff at the church, uh, working part-time with the church, running missions and uh, running the school, uh, helping to run the school. Then I moved to the ranch in 88 and then um, somewhere, I don't know, I was just, you know, we were running these schools and we were running pastor schools as well. So we had pastors that were coming from Australia, from the UK, from, from, from Northern Europe, Sweden, Germany, Switzerland. I mean, we had them from all over the place, New mm -hmm. Zealand as well, um, uh, and other countries. But they were, they would, pastors that would come to the school, we'd have our students that were coming to, to get launched into ministry. And uh, I was just flying high, you know. I mean, I just, I loved the mission field. I always felt I had a, a call to the mission field. But um, but somewhere along the line, I started questioning that. I started so saying, Lord, where did the missionary me go? I mean, I, I, I was still taking people on outreach. We were still going to Asia. We were going to Europe. Started going to Eastern Europe. Um, 
on outreaches, you know, Romania, Bulgaria, and the, you know, the Soviet Union was still alive and, and all that, but the, the, those nations were starting to fall. Um, and um, I started asking that question, where did the missionary in me go, Lord? Mm. Where did the missionary in me go? In 1990, I was in, in um, Kansas City. It was at a, we were at a pastor's conference in the summer. And it was at, uh, I, I think it was, I don't know if it was Kansas City Fellowship at the time. We're, we're right. hosting it. Uh, now IHOP, I think, is really who they, who they are. But they were hosting it. And it was a vineyard uh, pastor and leaders conference. And I brought the school with me. And I was just sitting there. And it was hot. And this guy was talking. He was talking about missions and and I'll be honest with you, it was boring, and I was just kind of sitting there going, you know, hearing this vo voice drone, and he was talking about Russia, and uh, I didn't hear anything that whole night except I heard this voice, and it was probably the guy, you know, but it was like the Lord speaking. I heard Russia, a window of time, hmm. and it was like, I just heard that. Yeah. Russia window of time. Logged it. Didn't think much of it. Still asking the Lord, where did the missionary in me go? You know, I mean, Russia's like way out there yeah. in my mind. Um, and incidentally, when I, before I went to China, uh, I was really wanting to go to Eastern Europe. You know, that's where I was really wanting to go. But door, the Lord closed the door, opened China for me, and then he closed China for me, and I was at the ranch. And, and, uh, and just involved with training people to minister, you know. And I was really bringing in a lot of teachers and leaders from mainly from the Vineyard Movement. Also, we would have some YWAM teachers that would come and other people. But um, uh, in 1991, everything changed. I mean, again, <laughs> yeah. like everything changed. My whole life changed. <laughs> that but seems to be a common theme here. Yeah. A lot of things changed. That's um, what happens, though. Yeah. But so that's the timeline. I don't know okay. how long this is going. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so with that, and I really want to push people more towards your book, too, for a lot of the time yeah, in between yeah. that as well. Because from the ranch, that sparked this church planting journey and missionary yeah. journey that happened. And we can touch on that yeah. some through a lot of countries, you know. Yeah. And um, I just think it's just been really cool knowing you and just hearing the stories and, and even me being, you know, church planter and stuff and sitting down with you and just hearing um, just what it's like going into these new places. I mean, I'm in a new place, but I'm still in the States. Like you yeah. were in gnarly places uh, where there was absolutely, I mean, behind the Iron Curtain, the whole nine yards and stuff, yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, I, so I want to push people more towards your story, maybe leave hopefully some cliffhanger for a lot of the years of doing that and, um the church planting stuff, but I'm just kind of curious with that because I really want to, what I really hope for our listeners to really grasp is your heart for mission, for cultivation, for raising people up to, to be who they were uniquely called to be and not having to conform, I think, to maybe a pattern that just is because it is. Yeah. And so whenever I think of you and I think of our podcast, The Spiritual Nomad Podcast, I always think of people who are outside of the church who are maybe disenfranchised from church, maybe, you know, um, justifiable reasons or not, it doesn't matter, but just an indifference and trying to figure out spirituality, who they are, who God is, you know, does he have an associated name to him or is he just this great big thing, you know, yeah. but also what I, and I was, you know, explaining to you more too, is just this 
reality of people sitting in churches and sitting in communities, but completely disengaged, completely just mind blank, zoned out. They don't feel this is their church home, but it's not really a place that where they might be flourishing, you know, in their not only their relationship with God, but also their their purpose. You know, I heard people say that so many studies been done about, you know, what really brings value to life. And people say, is it happiness? Is it money? And people have done all these extensive research, uh, you know, uh, studies, and neither of those, happiness or money, ever actually give people true fulfillment, its purpose. Yeah. And I think if we can begin to crack that code, whether people are associated with an institution of church or not, I think when we can begin to crack that individual purpose that has been given, you know, divinely, I don't know yeah. if that's a word, into their hearts and cultivate that and send people to the places that has been revealed to them through through desire, through dream, through friendships, through community, I think that's when we're really going to begin to see spiritual um, revitalization happen. And I think we're at the beginning of that. Uh, so I really wanted to just in, embody that. And because and, I, I really think that's your heart. So I'm just curious too, just where you see where we're at right now. Um, and maybe, you know, we come from the Christian tradition, of course, but where do we see things right now and how can we begin to um, become aware of you know the things that are I believe that are on the heart of God you know mm. um, how do we begin to, to reorient ourselves to I think our identity who we are and really our purpose as as people as you know people who are spiritual Christians however people would like to you know identify themselves you know yeah okay so we're jumping 20 some years right right 20, right yeah 25 years or something like that but but <laughs> by I, the book I, yeah, by the book you know. you know and uh and in the book you know the, i think the thing that that i wanted to do was to show that first of all i'm just a you know joe you know joe blow in the church that just came and sat down in a chair one day but god orchestrated so many things you know i mean uh, part of the, the point of the book is to show you don't, you know, from zero to Siberia. It's like, how do you get from California to Siberia planting churches, you know, leading te- teams of people, leading a team, first of all, and then leading other teams uh, to do the same thing? Uh, how do you get there? And all along the way, I mean, my life in China and living in Hong Kong and, and in China I saw so many miracles happen, and those are things I show, I tell about, yeah. you know. But it starts, it starts with a miracle of kind of starts with a miracle of hearing a word of knowledge mm. for someone who had problem hearing, and seeing a miracle happen with someone getting healed. You know, it's saying, "Yes, Lord, I will speak out in faith a word of knowledge." As a young Christian, one year old in the in the Lord, and then then taking the next step, the next step, the next step, next step, and it goes on. And, and I see so many things that God backs things up, so that when it came time to, I mean, how do you even get called to go to, to Siberia? That's all in there too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a that's a, an amazing to do, but it's it's like, and how do you say yes? You know, how do you? And how do you actually go? I yeah. mean, that's. <laughs> and then you're, we went to a city. 
that was closed. I mean, no, not even Russians were allowed to go there until we we showed up. Even it was just open to Russians, right? And we happened to show up, and we were the first foreigners to to uh, to to be there. You know, to ever go to the city. You know, in its history, and it's like, and here we are. You know, going to stay there <laughs> to plant a church, and the church is still going to this day. You know, it's so cool. Um, but and that was in '91 when I went there. And the Soviet Union fell during the time we were there. That first, that first time I was there, I lived there a couple of times. But, um, but what happened in that time is that we started, you know, the the ranch shifted to, we changed to being a school of missions, and re, re, what we ended up becoming was really a conveyor belt to the mission field. Yeah. You came to our school. We shortened our school to a three-month school. You came to our school for three months, and then you went to Siberia for three months minimum. Mm. But many, many of the people, maybe even probably most, actually stayed beyond the three months yeah. and went for six months or six years or mm. ten years, you know. I mean, the, you know. And also when we started in Siberia, I had students who had already been to the school prior, years prior, who came and joined us. You know, they went home from the ranch, and then two years later they'd come and join us. Uh, we started with, with people, you know, f our, the first group was me and a, a couple from Australia and a Norwegian guy. And then we added people from my home church, Desert Vineyard, who also came. And other people from other schools started to join us. But in that time of being, if, if we fast forward or condense the time in, in Siberia was, we went to a culture so very different than us mm -hmm. that you had to, really adapt how you do things, what you do and how you do things. But also in there, I saw some things, you know, I, I, I saw something. A year before I went to Siberia, or, or yeah, about, about a year before I went to Siberia, I was preparing for a school, and there were some people there that, you know, I'm thinking in particular one person that, that, that was you know, wanting to come to the school, but got a really, really bad reference from their pastor. Mm. This person's rebellious. They don't, they, they're, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I look at that, and that to me is an automatic rejection. Mm -hmm. so if a pastor is saying, we don't want, you know, you don't want this person because they're super rebellious. But the Lord told me <laughs> the next day, maybe in the night, I don't even know, just said, take another look at that application. I took a look at that application, and I had to really listen in to what the that student, prospective student was writing. Yeah. And I took a gamble and, and, and accepted, accepted them. And uh, that person ended up joining us later in Siberia, um, and is actually, you know, her and her husband are like, for me, missionaries. They were like the best missionaries that you could find, you mm -hmm. know. And model student at the ranch, you know, just w really hungry for the Lord. Yeah. And it opened my eyes to something, and that is that the church doesn't oftentimes know what to do with a lot of people yeah. in their in their church because 
it's partly maybe the leader is just wanting to do church. So, you know, it's like the vision is grow your church. But there's so many people, especially young people, and I, we, we have a lot of young people around us today, even though we're not young, or I'm not, my wife is. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have a lot of young people around us today who, you know, they call them the millennials, the lazy, do-nothing, you know, entitled, entitled millennials who I don't see as lazy, entitled, or I see people with passion who really want to do something for the kingdom, but the church says, you're not ready, or no, not you, or you're just, a, you're, you're just, you want to do things your way or whatever. They don't, they're, they're not given a place. That's what I see, a, mm. a, a lot of it. They're not given a place. And and um, I really have a heart to, to, to give place to people who really have a passion for, for God, want to see his kingdom expand, uh, extended to their, to their community, to the world around them and change the world. And I believe that, that they are the future. They are, they're the future. And, um, and I think that a lot of them just don't find a place in the church because the church just wants to be... I, 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 I think in some ways we've outgrown old notions of what, the church, of what we've allowed the church to continue to, to, to do. And that is we're still didactic. We're standing in front, standing on a platform, telling people what they should believe, what they should think, mm-hmm. and, and all that for 45 minutes. And then and, and, and a lot of people, they don't want to... That's, for millennials, that's generally not their way of learning. Yeah. They don't learn that way. They learn much more experientially. Yeah. And we want to give a, you know, I, I want to, to create a place where, where we can provide that experience, a place of, of where, where both uh, um, learning collectively mm-hmm. and experimenting collectively as well. Yeah. You know, I think that fits more. I don't really know if I'm you are on the stuff that you're talking about because you and i have talked a lot and and um uh before but so how do we begin to to engage and make that shift i think because i think a lot of the stuff that you've been passionate about your your whole adult life i think is still relevant today and i totally agree with you it just you know i'm a millennial i'm the epitome i mean i was born 89 so i think that that's like yeah. the heart of is, what millennial yeah. is, you know? Yeah. And so uh, I just, whenever I, I hear you say that, I, I second that and I just say, you know, I just feel like there is a, a model of what has to be. And, you know, I take it however, you know, it's supposed to be taken, but I just feel like we get these people that walk through our doors. And I think that people have so much potential. And I think we as millennials we we see ourselves and we see other people as world changers and we're told in church that we're world changers and we say great we want to believe in this church of being a world changer awesome how can i get signed up and they're like do you want to change the world here you go hand out a bulletin for a half an hour and it's like i'm not discrediting that that's a fine you know way of servanthood but i think that we us millennials are like yeah, some things are mundane, you know, for changing the world, but there really can't be that is that that's it, really. Like you've empowered me to to do this and to be that, and, and I I just really value what you're doing because it's like you're you're really putting people, um, giving handing the baton and saying you have purpose, 
you have you know great yeah. desires and you want to build place. I think the story you just told of the rebellious person that shouldn't have been accepted and you did and you've yeah. seen great things. I think that metaphorically, that's almost what has been happening to you know. And I, I don't want to be like pity me, woe is me, millennial generation, but that's almost I think what's happening to us. People they're not quite sure what to do with us and they just deem us as rebellious and yeah. that we don't want to follow suit. And I feel like, yeah. thank God that, you know, people like yourself and others are the Lord's putting on their heart. Like, well, just, just give us a chance to be able to, to breathe this stuff into fruition. So, yeah. I mean, what, what, so how does that come in with some of the school and some of your heart for, for that? And where did that really begin to, because, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think that's fleshed its way out into starting a school. Is that right? Or yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, I I would consider myself a rebel with a cause, you know, because I was a rebel, you know, and and and. But I'm also I'm also kind of a sucker for loyalty too, you know, in 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 in, in church and and whatnot. But you know, I was fortunate enough to to grow up spiritually in a in a great church. And, Desert Vineyard in Lancaster, California, at a time where come in the church is a couple hundred people. By the time I uh, I left to go to Siberia ten years later to start planting churches, uh, around ten years later, maybe a little more, um, the church was at sixteen hundred people. Because I I preached a, a Sunday when we had a we had you know three services, but we had, that Sunday we had like a collective service, all the services together, and and uh, and it was packed, you know, and the room had 1,600 chairs, and it was it was over capacity, but it was around 1,600 people, and, and I think that in that period of time, you had this incredible growth at that time, but we also, you know, at that time, we were, we were living in the 80s leadership, which was say, do what I say, don't question the leader, and here I was a leader, and I was leading even into the 90s, we were all leading kind of that way, even at the at the ranch. And and moving to Siberia, I really changed. My whole way of looking at leadership shifted drastically. Hmm. Everything oh, yeah. changed back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Common you know, thing. That's yeah. your next book. Yeah. That's your next yeah, book. Yeah, really. The thing is that, that I just shifted, you know, because I, I couldn't lead that way. And, you know, so I've learned from my successes. I've learned from my experiments. And I, I, I find that when I experiment with new things is when I've, when I, I've probably have come into more successes. When I've gone to the old ways of doing things is where you have failures. And I've learned a lot through relationships I've screwed up. Hmm. I mean, really, you know, I mean, um, because I've learned, I said, wow, I really did that, you know, and, and I don't ever want to do that again, you know, when we do as we're told, you know, here, you know, it's like leaders want to make other leaders after into their own image. Hmm. I don't want to make anyone in my image at all. I mean, that would be tragic. I want to, I want to help people find what is it that they are supposed to do equip them to do, help them equip them to do that mm. and and be able to mobilize them to go out and do to do the very things that God is calling is calling them to do and i think that because that's what happened with me and i think that what brent saw in me and what try saw in me Robinson, what Ron Cox saw on me way back, 
you know, to invite me into to being a home group leader, starting off. What these guys saw in me, they saw something in they saw something in me, and they let me. Uh, they gave me a, a platform, a place, not just a platform, I mean a stage. I mean, I ended up on a stage, but but they gave me a place, a platform uh, 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 to to try things out, to try yeah. ministry. And what we did with the schools at a ranch, we gave people a place to do that as well. What what I've seen is that we've produced out of the, just out of the ranch from the 80s and 90s is dozens of you know, dozens and dozens of people that went from there and went and planted churches. You know, the vineyard movement got its start in Australia from the ranch. It got its start in, in the Nordic countries from the ranch, in the Netherlands from the ranch, and of course Russia from the ranch, and lots of other pastors who are in the, the U.S., the U.K., uh, Germany, Switzerland, whatever. You know, they, they got their their they went out even in Africa, you know, that we sent out people that wanted to build. They wanted to build the kingdom. They wanted to build the kingdom. And the the ranch has been duplicated in a couple places. We we duplicated it for a little while in Russia, but we duplicated it in Sweden. Um, and I ran a school in Sweden. I ran one in Russia as well that also sent out church planters out from there and went missionaries and church planters, missionaries around the world. And but here we are in the 2000 teens, and um, I don't see a lot of that, especially in the vineyard movement. I don't see a lot of that that kind of thing happening. We have different kinds of programs where people get trained up mm-hmm. uh, to pastor churches. But there again, what are wh- what are the churches that they're pastoring? I mean, I hope that they're churches that are always on the edge. You know. Uh, you know, always on the edge and 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 pushing pe- pushing the envelope of what what the church looks like. As as Try Robinson, uh, I just spent a, a week with him, uh, him and Nancy and and some other guys up in Boise last month. And Try uh, actually, yeah, last month. And um, as Try always said, if you're a if you're a bird hunter, you gotta you want to lead the duck. If you're going to shoot the duck, you have to lead the duck. Because if you aim at the duck, you're going to miss the duck. Mm. And and he says what we need to do in the church is we need to look and see where is the church in three years? Where is the church in five years? And that's where we need to be aiming right now. Yeah. That's what we need. And that, that's, that's what I'm really working on trying to do. I really felt like the Lord spoke to, to my wife and I feel like the Lord spoke to us and said to equip and mobilize a new generation for church planning, global mission, social justice. And um, uh, I'm like, what, you know? And in some way, I feel like I'm back to roots of what the Vineyard Ranch was about, mm-hmm. but expanded more into who I, you know, out of what God has put, put on my heart, church planting, global missions, and uh, and um, social justice, and you know, I ended up living outside of the U.S. I never would have guessed that I would have spent 23 years as an adult living outside the U.S. doing mission. You know, uh, and that's doing a long time. Planning. Yeah, in 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 you know several different places. You know, a few different places in Russia, uh, in Sweden for for 10 years, and 
and in my time in China as well. And I, I never thought I was ever going to live back in the states, but we brought us back to the states, and that's what he's tasked us to do. You know, yeah, is to equip and mobilize a new generation for church planning, global missions, and social justice. So we are starting a school. Yeah, and it is a school that you know that has its roots out of the ranch. It just really does. It has the roots out of the out of what the ranch was always wanting to do, and that is to send out builders, builders of the kingdom. And in our motto for the ranch, if we had one, it could be um, if what God is calling you to, to build doesn't exist, build it. Mm-hmm. Go out and build it and align yourself with others who want to build as well and build it. And that's why we, you know, why we have so many of our people that went out and planted church. I mean, just Australia, we've had numbers of people have planted, lots of people that went out and planted churches in, in Australia, in uh, in uh, the Scandinavian countries as well. It just is really mind blowing to me, you know, just really mind blowing to me that 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 was the fruit of the ranch, and. Um, uh, and not just church planters, but people who are integral parts of part of leadership in in their local churches or on the mission field doing doing social justice uh, works, you know, um, in Africa or in Asia. So it's just really mind blowing. So we're starting. We are starting a school, and the church. The school is called Pacific Leadership Institute, and uh, you can uh, you can check out our website, Pacific Leadership Institute org and I know that's a really long thing to type in maybe <laughs> maybe uh, we'll find a shortened shortened version somewhere but um, uh, we're starting that in Oceanside here and we're partnering with several vineyard churches and other other ministries as well that aren't you know vineyard we aren't we aren't you know labeling ourselves that we're we're not a officially a vineyard you know, right. affiliation, but we, you know, I have the vineyard as my tribe. It always will be. Yeah. But I'm a missionary and, uh, and I want to train up mission. I want to train up people who will go out and church plant, whether it's in New York, whether it's in Indiana or <laughs> San Marcos, uh, or it's in, uh, you know, um, Zambia or yeah. Iceland. Yeah. You know? That kind of sounds fun. Yeah, Iceland sounds fun. Yeah, <laughs> well, and I, 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 ha- I do have a story about Iceland, and it kind of tells the story of our school. You know, and about eight months, ten months ago, I read a report that that a hundred percent of millennials, hundred percent of tw- those twenty-five and under, I know millennials can be older than that too, but hundred percent of those twenty-five and under do not believe in Iceland, do not believe in a creator God. Hmm. Now. That just gets me. That just gets me. I just go, who is going to do something about that? Who's going to do something about that? So part of our plan with Pacific Leadership Institute, and it's not for all the students to come there, but I do want to envision at least a group of six or eight millennials that would join together as a team and move to Reykjavik, the capital of Iceland. Yeah. And engage that millennial culture there and try to figure out how can we do, how can we expand the, extend the kingdom in this culture? Yeah. How can we do that? How can we engage this culture 
and bring the church, whatever that's going to look like. And I'm right. not talking about, you know, Sunday come to meeting church. Right. I'm talking Institution, about the, right. yeah, the institute, the, the, what that has been. It's like, if that's what it's supposed to be, right. fine, great. But let's not assume that. Let's go mm. in like we did. And, you know, we went into Siberia. Slate is clean. You know, there's no, there is no slate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like Siberia, man. You know, you and and what does it look like? What how does that what does that look like in Iceland for you know, we're we're targeting two thousand nineteen to two thousand nineteen, maybe twenty twenty, getting a team there. But we are starting the school here in twenty seventeen. Yeah. So you know, this year you are starting, year starting the school, school and it begins this fall. It's this February fall. right now. So yeah, it begins in, in September. September it begins and it's Pacific Leadership Institute dot org. And yeah. you have some social media presence as well, right? Yeah. So what's your what's we, your Instagram and Facebook? Pacific Leadership Institute. Uh, those are three words. Uh, Pacific Leadership Institute on the website. Obviously, those three words are put together. dot org. Yeah. But um, but Facebook it's Pacific Leadership Institute. And Instagram. Um, I'll I'll tell you what. I'm going to add it all on the show notes below. So if yeah, you're okay. interested more yeah. of getting in touch, uh, the links will be there. And uh, I, I'm just going to make a bold statement and say uh, at least two people that are going to be on that team are listening to this right now. So All right. Um, awesome. They're going to come and they're going to say, hey, yeah. found this podcast, found this school, and uh, equip me and send me to, to Iceland. So. Yeah. Or, or somewhere else. I mean, yeah, you may yeah, go, yeah. You may go back to your home church and you might want to go out and plant out of that or plant somewhere else. Or you might want, want to go to Tanzania and join some great friends of ours or to India and join some other great friends of ours. Or join my plant or here join, in San Diego. Because we're, <laughs> we, we're going to partner with the uh, current church when, you know, the the church plant in, in San Marcos and and, uh, and all that. But each student's going to get an opportunity to choose a, a concentration, church planting, global missions, or uh, social justice. And they're all, everyone's going to go, all the core teaching of all those three areas are going to concentrate on their their area of ch choice it's uh and basically what we're doing is we are removing and i know that you any of you pastors if you hear this you know you might cringe here a little bit here when you hear me say this but we are removing pretty much all barriers to ministry in other words under under our uh i don't want to say supervision but under our guidance or under our umbrella we're removing barriers to ministry in other words we're going to launch the people who are coming to the school to do ministry while they're here in the school to to try out lots of different things to help them discover what I really want them to do is to, to give them the opportunity for God to speak to them. Mm. Like he did to me, to me, standing on the border of Hong Kong and China, which you're going to read about in my book. Yeah. Shameless plug there. That's not the name of it's my book. It's already ordered. They should, already ordered I it. I should call my book Shameless Plug. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, where you go, I go. You can re read about that. But I want people to have that opportunity, and it may happen to them while they're here in Oceanside. It might happen to, happen to them while they're in Nicaragua, because our school is going to Nicaragua. We are going to go down there. We are partnering. One of our partner organizations is called I-61. That's called I-61.org. You can look them up. And what I-61, it's out of Isaiah 61, uh, what that organization, fantastic organization, fantastic people. Uh, they have a, a, a base down in at Managua and Nicaragua. What they do is they 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 do training for social justice, 
work, and their whole thing is that they're taking on the seven. There's they identified seven areas of world crisis, mm. uh, and uh, and they go. Th- we go through those seven areas and and look at h- how we can how we can address those areas in a sustainable way. They're looking for sustainable solutions to those seven areas of world crisis, and um, uh, so. We are partnering with them. We're going to do part of their training. We're going to do some uh, a part two of their training. Uh, so our students are going to spend about three weeks in, in uh, Nicaragua as well. So and, cool. Um, and uh, right in the middle of our schools. Our school is six months long. At the end of our six months, we are going to open up our global network. And let me tell you, it is huge. <laughs> Bigly. And he, he's not a... Over exaggerating, like maybe some other false facts or anything like that. <laughs> we, we, we have a pretty, we have a pretty big global network, and I have people that are telling me, "Hey, I want some of your students." When you know, some of our students are my past students, or you know, past students have gone through our schools that that are pl- leading churches or ministries. They're they're telling me, "Yeah, we want your, we want some of your your students to intern with us." Well, if you want to intern in a church in New York or in, or I can tell you. Uh, you know, some of the Australian churches are wanting people that want to come and intern with them uh, in India and in Africa and Sweden, in Sweden, and yeah. Oslo, you know, and uh, which is not Sweden, by the way, it's Norway, <laughs> um, and other other places. We got lots and lots of places for people to go and intern for 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 six months. So it's not everyone has to go do that, but we are opening up our network for the for for the possibility for a connection for them yeah. to be able to intern there. And that's huge. Yeah. Uh, and I'll even just interject just with coming and planting. Everything happens through relationship. The whole reason yeah. we are in San Diego is because of relationship. I mean, God completely uses that as his means uh, for getting you engaged, on board, moving forward. And it's it, if it wasn't for relationships, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. You yeah, know, I yeah, mean, it's yeah. just relationships are the currency of the kingdom, right? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's a Wimberism. So, yeah, yeah, it is. So I think that uh, this is a crucial thing uh, for people to come and to be a part of. So if you have any interest at all, you need to hit Jim up. And uh, it's an awesome school. And you can't really be being in Southern California, Oceanside, right on the beach. The place that they have is on Pacific Coast Highway. All your friends will be jealous. You can just have them come too. So yeah. <laughs> thank you, Jim. Surfing, the school of surfing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, we're... Yeah. So, but you know, if you're listening to this, pray for us. We need to have a. We need to finish our lease on the building, and and uh, but we're we're looking at a place that's literally a five minute walk to the to the sand. I mean, literally, to the waves in the sand. And it's awesome. And uh, early morning surf sesh before yeah. anything else is awesome. Um, one of the things I did want to say, you know, I want to, and I want to address this, and especially I don't know if who listens to the podcast. Some pastors might listen to it. And, or maybe you're looking at the school. Maybe you have some people because we we're really in big time recruiting mode right now. We want to we need to recruit students. But um, I was talking to someone that that was talking about how many pastors they don't want to send their their people to schools. You know, YWAM. You know, they they get people engaged in the nations and and uh, you know, there's other schools that are that are out there. You know, Christ for the Nations, Bethel, whatever. You know. Uh, we know what we're trying, what we're wanting to do. We know what kind of fruit we're trying to duplicate, and we know how we we know how we did it for before. 
we're not duplicating our program from before. But someone said to me, the problem is a lot of pastors have a hard time because they don't want to they don't want to suggest them to go to a school because they don't want to lose their lose their students. And I, you know, and um, and I'm just going to say something, and that that is that you know, uh, one of my mentors, you know, and I knew John Wimber. He wasn't like I wasn't close to John, but but we knew each other. He, we knew each other, and we'd been in several different countries together. And um, uh, but he used to always say. Uh, we need to set, we need to be willing to send our best. We need to send our best. We mm. need to be able to lose our best and, and, and let them go out because God is calling our, some of our best. And and so, um, if people, if you send someone to our school, there's no guarantee they're coming back to you. Yeah. They may, and they may come back for a year or two. Like a lot of our students came back, went back to their churches and, and, and built there, but they went out and planted after out from there in other places. You're, there's no guarantees. You don't have any guarantees that you hold tight and don't send them somewhere that they're, uh, that they're not going to leave. There's, there's no guarantees. And the reality is you're not going to lose them to the kingdom for, for the most part. We don't, you're not going to lose them to the kingdom at least. Mm-hmm. You know, but if, if we have an opportunity to, to see them get launched into uh, to works and in, in, into other things, other missions or other churches being planted, um, I really want you to prayerfully consider consider sending some of the people. The other thing is you might have you might be uh, have someone you know that this person loves Jesus. They really do and there's a passion but you're not really sure to, that you you're not really sure what to do with them. Send them our way. Yeah. Because um, uh, that doesn't mean that we're going to accept them automatically. <laughs> send them our way. We're, we we have some criteria, I tell you that. But but Oftentimes, um, the people that are really well cut out for our kind of program are ones that a lot of churches don't really know what to do with them. Yeah, and they're people that are they're they're trying to find their place and they're not really sure. And we want to help them find that place. Yeah, and uh, especially if you have an uh, an inkling that maybe they could have a calling, maybe they're a little bit rebellious, you know. Um, Those are the people handle, that do some. We can handle that. Those are the ones that usually end up doing some damage, they you do. know, and for, and for the good. For the good. Know. And sometimes for the bad. Hey, it's a you give know? and take, you yeah. know. It's a give and take. But, hey, yeah. it's it's something that it's there and um, it's a real thing. Yeah. You know, people have real people that they really yeah. aren't sure what to do with. Yeah. And those people aren't sure what to do with themselves. That's, I think, that's right. That's right. I think this is an awesome place to say, well, I'm going to at least figure it out here. And yeah. so I think it's a really great thing. You yeah, know? I think we can help channel, channel them towards uh, towards uh, something good. Totally, totally. Yeah. Jim, thank you so much for being on the Spiritual thank Nomad you. podcast. Thank you. And it won't be the last time for sure. Right, cool. So thank you, man. I appreciate you. You too. Thanks.